turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're continuing our series, Sermon on the Mount. And today we get to a tough topic on adultery and lust. And I'm, I'm, cha- I'm challenged trying to do two things. One is it's a challenge to help us feel the urgency and the depth that we need to go to fight lust because it is a battle. And I know many in the room are struggling in this area. And so what I don't want to do is crush your battle. Right? And so some, I'm trying to say, hey, wake up, start fighting. And with others, I'm trying to say, you can find forgiveness and a new start, a new heart, cleansing, shame gone, guilt gone in Christ. So the overarching goal of this message is for all of us to guard our hearts and set our eyes on Jesus. Because you cannot, you cannot have your eyes set on Christ while at the same time lusting after another person or thing. And I think we understand. This is pretty simple. I'll give you an illustration. Matt, if you'll stand up by the garage door. James, do you care to stand by the maroon door? Stand up there by the maroon door. Betty, you're in the middle. (laughs) Can you stand up and look at Matt? All right, you're looking at Matt. James, hold up up some uh, number of fingers on your hand. But hey, keep looking at Matt. How many fingers is James holding up? Holy cow. (laughs) James, hold up a different number. (laughs) Betty, how many numbers? All right. I think if we keep going, she might get some more right, which would kill this illustration. But here's the thing. It's hard for her to know what James is doing when her eyes is on Matt. Now, look at James. James, hold up number of fingers. How many is he holding up? James, do it again. Pick a different number. (laughs) It's pretty easy to see, right? All right, James and Matt, sit down. Betty, sit down. Thank you, James. It's easier to see what's going on when your eyes are on the right person. In the same way, in your spiritual walk, your eyes are on someone or something. And you cannot know what God is doing around you and in you if your eyes aren't on him. And what Satan will do is say, hey, look at this. Hey, look at this. Hey, look at this. And Satan will always try to get you to lust after the things that are not God. And it's always a promise of you're not going to be fulfilled when your eyes are on Jesus. You will be fulfilled when you go after this. That was the story of the garden. God creates Adam and Eve. They have this garden, tree after tree after tree. Anything that they want to eat, just one tree, don't go to. And Satan says, hey, look at this fruit. And the Bible says when Eve saw it, that it was good for the taste, she took and she ate because she thought God was withholding something from her. Nothing's changed. Lust always says God's keeping something from you and you need to go meet your needs and it never delivers. So the challenge is to keep your eyes on Jesus and not those things that keep you from Christ.
we took a road trip to Memphis. And the whole goal of the trip, it was only a one-day-in-Memphis trip. Eight hours to get down there. That's a long road trip, am I right? Tracy, am I right? We're in a minivan, seven guys, and we're not talking small guys. We got some large dudes on this trip. We finally get to Memphis, and we started the journey trying to get to Enterprise. And the, the rental cars, everybody's running out of rental cars. Everybody wants to travel. And so... They don't have three minivans, but they have two vehicles. One holds six people, another holds seven. Do you want them? Yes, we've got to get to Memphis. Well, we had been calling the National Civil Rights Museum, which was the whole purpose of the trip, the Lorraine Motel, which uh, is behind us. You see that wreath. That represents the spot where Dr. Martin Luther King was standing when he was shot. They have turned the motel and the building behind it into this awesome museum. Well... About a month out, everything was good to go until COVID changed their policies and they closed on Mondays and Tuesdays. We were only there on Tuesday. We couldn't change our hotel stay and we couldn't change our rental stay, right? We had the vans Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that's all we had them. So we had to go down Monday, come back Wednesday. We had called multiple times to get in to this museum and they said, well, we're closed, we're closed, but the lady who does groups will be back. She's on vacation. She'll be back in a week. Well, we called a week later. That lady didn't do group, but the person that did was now on vacation. And so we go down to Memphis without knowing if we can get in or not. And so Hop says, listen, they're not returning our calls. We've left messages. You call the number. You can dial extension 1 for this or 2. We left it, uh, voicemails on extension 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Zero callbacks. We're taking a group of about 15 down, trying to get into this motel, this National Civil Rights Museum. On our way down, you get worn out. We had been about 10 hours driving. The hotel, we pass it to get to this place just to try to get somebody to answer, see if we can get in or not. You want to know what the temptation was? Coach Hop and I and Tracy were talking about this, like we could just go to the hotel and try tomorrow. But Hop's like, man, if we don't get somebody today, they're going to ignore us tomorrow too. And so we pass up the temptation to pull off to the hotel and just chill out, get some supper to go to this. And luckily we found a person who found a person who found the lady who just got back from vacation who said, oh yeah, you can rent the space out tomorrow. Yes. That's the whole purpose of the trip. You know, it's easy if you have to pick and choose and you know who you should choose. The hard part is when you're going somewhere and your body's saying, you know what, you need to rest. You, you need to pull off to the hotel, get the guys. Just, tomorrow's a better day. But when you remember what God's called you to, it'll keep you going. Knowing and doing are miles apart. If I asked everybody in the room, should you lust after a woman or lust after a man, everybody would say, oh, duh, of course not. But knowing and doing are miles apart. And what you're going to see with Jesus, he takes a command and then shows us how deep it goes. And so I want you to see this. What Jesus does is he reveals our hearts and how we don't meet the requirements. And that would lead us to despair 
if he also doesn't show us the remedy. Right? If you throw me out into the middle of the ocean, say good luck, I'm done. But if you provide the ocean liner to bring me back to safety, I'm okay. This is what Jesus is doing. He's showing us a reality that's true of all of us. Last week it showed about murder. Has it? I don't want to ask this question. Don't answer this question. Has anyone ever killed anybody? Most people in most places would never ever raise their hand. Right? But Jesus says, but have you ever been angry with a brother or sister? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Right? And Jesus gets to the heart of the command. That's what he does with this. So, so let's read it. You'll see this with verse 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Right? All right, what is adultery? This is coming back from the Ten Commandments. Moses goes up, Mount Sinai, God gives him Ten Commandments. This is number seven, do not commit adultery. Now, we may not know what that is. Adultery is sex outside the covenantal, the marriage relationship. And so I, I want to explain this just a little bit. I, I want to give us the view of biblical sex, and, and I want us to be careful. I'm, I'm going to keep this PG-ish. Sex is not a bad thing. It's a gift from God. The problem is when we make sex an ultimate thing. I'm only satisfied or happy or uh, complete when this is happening. When we know, no, in Jesus, I am satisfied and complete and fulfilled. And what our world has done is said, hey, you need to go after it. If it feels good, do it. You need to go after it and please yourself here. And God's saying, no, you're, you're tearing out what the gift was for. All right, let me, I'll explain this. Biblical view of sex, number one, sex is a good gift from God. We're, we're, the church should not be afraid to talk about sex. When you read and... Eventually, we will do a sermon series through the Song of Solomon. And it's rough. Like, there's some things in there that make me blush. And I'm trying to explain it to people with my daughter and my mom and my wife in the room. Right? Think about tough. Like, that's, and yet the Bible doesn't blush at that. The Bible has no fear of talking about sex and what's its purpose. And I want you to see this. So, so, number one, sex is a good gift from God. But number two, it's designed only for those in a covenant relationship called marriage. It's a covenant. It's more sacred and binding than just a casual relationship. But, but it's more intimate than a legal contract. And so this idea of, of covenant relationship, uh, Tim Keller has this piece talking about consumer relationships versus covenant relationships. Consumer relationships versus covenant relationships. And, and what happens a lot of time when you see this boyfriend-girlfriend um, and, and you, see, you see this in marriage, and it's, it's sad to see this consumer type of relationship of what's in it for me. I'm in this relationship as long as this, this, and this is true. Right? They treat the other partner or the spouse like a phone service. So I, I don't care, uh, phone service, AT&T, T-Mobile, whoever. I'll be with this group as long as they give me this type of data on this many lines for this price. But as soon as I can find a better deal or a better phone, I'll go. Right? That's a consumer relationship. And sometimes, a lot of times, what I see is people bring that into their relationship. 
yeah, I'll stay with you as long as you meet this, this, and this need. As a matter of fact, we were at a wedding. Mr. Fight's doing the ceremony. And the woman responds, for richer or for richer. Right? Hey, I'll stay. Now, she, I hope she was joking. But she's saying, hey, I'll be with you as long as you make money. But if there's a better deal, if there's a better guy, if there's more money, deuces. That's a consumer relationship. Then you have this flip side, this covenant relationship. And it says, I will adjust to you because I've made a promise. And I love this. And the relationship is more important than my needs. Now, if you want a healthy marriage, that's where it's at. That's where it's at. 100% of the problems in marriage come from a consumer mindset into a relationship. If you don't do this, if you don't make this, if you don't have this done, I'm unhappy, I'm out. Covenant relationships looking like, how can I serve you? How can I help you? I've made a promise. I'm going to keep it. I'm not leaving. Sickness and in health, richer or for poor, till death do us part. That's a covenant relationship. Keller goes on to say there's three things that stem, that result from this type of relationship, a covenant relationship. He said, number one, there's a zone of security, zone of safety. Right? I, I knew growing up, middle school and high school, that I should make the basketball team. But during tryouts, it's always stressful. Because there's a chance maybe the coach had a different game plan, maybe he wanted to go a different way. And there's always that stress of am I going to make it or not? But as soon as you see the names posted and you're on the team, that stress is gone. And then you're freed up to do what you think you can do on the court. And that's the same thing when it comes to a covenant relationship. You don't have to pretend, right? This is who I am. This is who I am. This is my personality. This is my humor. This is my flaws. These are my strengths. Do you see how that gives you a little bit of security? Because now Julianne's committed to me and I'm committed to her. She can be herself. Because I've made a promise before God and to her. She doesn't have to impress me. She does. But if she doesn't, I'm still here. Do you see the security that comes from that? Do you think most marriages reflect that? Hey, and this is one thing, and I know there's a lot of young ladies and young men in the room. Man, marriage is a good thing. And I wish, I wish I could show you marriages like this, but there's so few of them. But just because you may see a bad marriage doesn't mean marriage is bad. Marriage is a good thing from God, and, and this is the key. A covenant relationship. So you get a zone of spirit, but then also deeper feelings will grow from a covenant relationship. Let me tell you what I mean. Dia. Dia's almost five months. She brings nothing to the table. She's never cleaned up her room. She's never helped take out the trash. The only thing she leaves behind are dirty diapers and a little bit of throw up. I'm not walking away from Dia though, am I? Right? There's no consuming going on. She doesn't meet any of the needs, but man, our feelings for her are growing and growing and growing. 
It's the same thing is true in the marriage relationship. There's going to be times when Julianne doesn't feel like loving me. And my goodness, uh, July 25th, I want to take a straw poll, but I won't. We started dating July 25th of 2000. It's not our anniversary. I don't know if we should celebrate it or not. Our wedding anniversary is in February. Anyways, 21 years is a long time to be with somebody, right? And in that time, she's seen me uh, with pride. She's seen me with selfishness. She's seen me make mistake after mistake. She's seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you want to know what's awesome? She's still standing right there. And the same is true of me. I saw this uh, taking Ava to practice. Um, I'm going down, and there's this old couple. The, the lady has uh, like a hiking stick. And the old man has on some aerobic gear, and he's getting after it. But they're in their 80s. And I'm thinking, man, I love that. Drop her off, I turn back around, come down another street, and they've already turned the corner. I mean, they're getting after it. And I thought, you know what? That's what I want. I want to be 60, 70, 80, 90. I want to be sitting in a rocking chair next to Julianne. And, and you want to know what? As much as I love Julianne, on July 25th, 2000, I love her more today. And it's because of a covenant relationship. The feelings, feelings go up and down. Those are cheap. But a commitment and a promise... Whew, that's where deep feelings grow. Which gives you the third thing, gives you freedom. You're not enslaved to your feelings. So it gives you a zone of safety. It allows deeper feelings to grow, but then it gives you, you're not controlled by your feelings. My goodness, if Julianne left every time she was mad at me, whew, we'd be in trouble. Or if we left every time we were mad at the kids, we wouldn't have four girls, <laughs> right? It's an amazing thing when you're not controlled by your feelings. Now, that takes discipline. But that's the relationship in which, covenant relationship, in which sex flourishes. And I want to leave you with this. And this is why I explained this biblical view. Because sex outside of a covenant relationship leads to regret and destruction, no matter how fulfilled you are at the moment. When Eve took the bite of the fruit, I can guarantee you it tasted good. But we know how that ends. Kicked out of the garden, death enters the picture. Sin always leads down that path. And so sex within the covenant relationship is a symbol for what the covenant represents. Now, i got to be careful. I, I, try, I shared this illustration with Julianne. I used the wrong words. So I know when I'm talking about sex, i got to pick my words wisely. So sex is a picture of the commitment already made by the couple. So when we were at the altar, I told Julianne, hey, I'm here, all of me to all of you. Bible talks about two becoming one flesh, right? Now, in sex, you're naked, vulnerable, and all my glory right there in front of her. And it's a... <laughs> I, I hope that wasn't from Julianne, right? And, and I'm saying, hey, all of me to all, all of you, and it's a reminder of the commitment I made to her on February 28, 2004. Right? Now, hey, this is important. This is very, very important. When you have sex, it, it's, it's a glue 
and it's a picture of the commitment already made. It's a saying, hey, my body I'm not withholding from you, my life I'm not withholding from you. And sex is a great thing in the bounds of marriage, but the problem is, and what Jesus gets after when he talks about adultery and lust, is we say, you know what, sex is not for that. I don't care about the covenant relationship. I care about what feels good for me. So I'll have sex with whoever I want to. I'll look at whatever pictures I want to. I don't care about any relationship. It's about me. And when you do that, it will destroy you. And that's not my words. Those are Jesus. Let's hear what he says. You ready? But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Whew. You see how deep Jesus goes with that? Never cheated on my spouse. Have you ever had a lustful thought? Right? And now all of a sudden we see when the law is out there, we don't measure up. And that's a problem. That's our sin. And it just keeps going down. It's, it's an amazing thing when you look at this because people thought they were good to go. Haven't killed anybody, haven't cheated on my wife, I'm good. But Jesus goes, well, you've been angry, so you're guilty. This is what the law points to. You've lusted, so you're guilty. This is what the law points to. And do you remember what he said earlier? He said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you won't have the kingdom of heaven. You want to know what Jesus does here and what he'll do the rest of his sermon? He'll show how our righteousness doesn't meet the requirement. All right, so that's the sin defined. And I think... Man, guilty. We're guilty. We don't meet the standard. And so the sin is no adultery, no lust. And where does that lust come from? Your heart, which now he drives in the severity determined. Right? If, is this a big deal? Well, Jesus goes, commit adultery with her in his heart. So where does adultery come from? It comes from within. Right? This isn't an easy fix. Earlier or later on in Matthew, it says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality. So the problem isn't out here. The problem isn't what, what someone's wearing. The problem is my heart is wicked and it has evil desires and it goes after things that God has not given. <coughs> Jolly Plumbing, their slogan, A flush beats a full house, right? Catchy slogan. Problem is, our basement was backing up. When water's coming through, you panic. We call them, they come in, they have this huge uh, snake, an auger that drives it through. Bam, they're cranking it out. Clogged on. I'm thinking, oh, we're good. The next storm comes. Boom, flooded again. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. They're like, oh, hey, no worries. We have a video line that we'll put through. And when they say no worries, what it means is it's going to be mo money, right? <laughs> so, they put this video line through and he goes, just a heads up, we've got a cheaper option and a more expensive option. He goes, we want to go from cheaper to more expensive, and hopefully it works. He goes, but since we got the clog last time with the snake, there might be a crack in your pipe, and there might be roots growing through it, which means we got to bring in a bulldozer and backhoe out the pipe. And he goes, it's going to probably cost, since we have to block the street too, three to 7000 I'm like, three to 7,000? I go, well, what's the other option? He's like, well, this video could go through and show us it's just a clog, and we can 
pressure wash it and it'll go. It'll be about 2,000. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of money, right? So they come, they put the, the video in, and I'm just waiting. You can see it on the screen. I'm like, that's not a root. That's not, uh, all right, that, no, not a crack. There's a Nerf arrow from one of our girls shooting. I mean, great shot, but went on the gutter. I'm like, oh, don't worry, I'll get that. I forgot about it. Went to the gutter, gutter went to the drain, Nerf arrow in the drain. I was relieved. Wasn't a root. Pressure wash that thing, it broke up, bam, down, problem solved. Now, if it was a root, it would be very, very expensive. That would be a pain to fix. When Jesus talks about, you thought it was just a little clog, right? Don't cheat on your wife. Don't cheat on your husband. Jesus says, nope. You got a problem with the hardwire. Your heart is messed up. And so the solution is going to be more costly. So this sermon isn't, hey, have pure thoughts, do better, think better. No, the solution is Jesus taking our spot. And so do you see, do you see how severe this is? But then Jesus goes on. Not only does he show us how deep it goes, what causes it, but he also shows us the cost of lusting after other people. Verse uh, 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Listen, nothing says, hey, welcome to church like a little uh, gouging out your eye, right? It gets better. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than to, for your whole body to go into hell. Now, Jesus is not saying, cut your eyes out, cut your hands off. There was one guy that interpreted that way. And you want to know what he said? It didn't work. Why? It's your heart. Right? It's not your right eye. It's not your left eye. It's not your right hand. It's not your left hand. It's your heart. What Jesus is saying is this thing is deadly. It's eternally deadly. So you better stop playing with it. You better take this serious. You are in a battle, so you better be fighting. Or it will cost you your life for eternity. Jesus does not mix His words here. It's hyperbole, but He's saying this is very, very important, and it's very dangerous to think you could just shrug off lusting after stuff. You can't. It'll cost you. So we move on, and we finally see this. So, so what is the cure? So I, I shouldn't cut my hands off and pluck out my eye. No, you should run to Jesus. There was this lady that Jesus runs into at a well in John chapter 4. And it's interesting, the hell mentioned here in these two verses, it's this place where it's an unquenchable thirst, where one aspect of hell is you see the glory that is God and how he completely satisfies those who are his. And when you're separated from him, you're continually forever longing for him. One thing here from this longing you see with this woman at the well. She's coming at the well and Jesus says, hey, come to me and I will give you living water and you'll never be thirsty again. And then the conversation continues and Jesus says, go ahead, bring your husband back. And she's like, oh, I'm not married. And Jesus says, you're right. She, he says, you've had five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. You see, she was trying to have her needs met in some man. 
and her needs could only be met in Christ. And you see, all of us in the room are thirsty for a water that will quench. And the problem is we lust after things that we think will quench our thirst, but they only leave you thirstier. It's like being stuck in the ocean with water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. So Jesus says, hey, come to me and I will give you living water and you'll never be thirsty again. I think it's an amazing thing what Jesus does. Jesus offers you forgiveness, a new start, a second chance. Jesus is the one that purifies your heart, purifies your mind, purifies your heart and eyes. If you're trying to do this on your own, you'll never make it. But Jesus says, come to me. And I have this water, which is himself, and you'll never be thirsty again. Listen to what he says. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You've messed up. Guess what? Join the club. We've all messed up. Confess your sin to God. He hears you. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Temples torn in two. Nothing separates you from God. You get to God because of what Christ has done. Confess your sin to God. Turn from it and trust that he has saved you, forgiven you, and cleansed you. So that before God, he doesn't see my sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And, and this is the beautiful picture. This also shows us how severe it is and why we need a Savior. 1 John 2, 2. Jesus is himself the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Jesus shows us that we don't meet the mark in order that we can run to him. You want to know what's a scary thing? To be sick and not know it. To be sick and not know it. You can go on living your life and, you sit, and you're sick and you do not. But you wonder what happens when you become aware that you're sick? You can go to a doctor. And you can get medicine. You can get better. You see, what Jesus is doing is saying, hey, you're sick. This sin is in your heart. But you can get better. Come to me. So that is the invitation. When you see this, do not, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, whoever lusts after a woman has already committed adultery in his heart. The point of that text is for us to see our desperation for a Savior. We need Jesus. And so if you are here and you've never given your life to Christ, you've never asked God to forgive you, you can do that today. There's nothing standing in your way because of what Jesus has done for you. Jesus did meet the standard. He never lusted after a woman. He was never angry at his brother with the intent of murder. He meets the law perfectly. He's the only one ever to do that. Lived a perfect, sinless life. Dies on the cross in your place and in my place. And the Bible says everyone who calls on Jesus will be saved. And so now here's the awesome part. Despite all of my sin, when I stand before God... He says, I'm righteous because I'm as righteous as Jesus was. Because my sins paid for and his righteousness was given to me. And what's true of me can be true for you. And so that's the point of this passage. Adultery is in the heart and the only way to get a new heart is through Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus does. And so I hope you feel the hope that you have in Christ. Now, I want to give us real quick four strategies to fight 
to fight lust. And this is going to be a little bit quicker. Number one, you know God, so have faith. You know God, so have faith. Um, there's a couple things I believe that I, I just I have in my mind that this is true and this is how I'm going to fight. And this is how I hope. These are some things you have to believe in. Number one, I believe that in Christ I will find the fullness of joy and pleasure. In Christ I will find the fullness of joy and pleasure. I don't have to have sex. I have Christ. And in Him is the fullness of joy and pleasure. And Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, this is what it reminds me of. Mike Rankin back in the day. He was a college guy. I was in, uh, I think I was in high school and we're sitting next to each other at church. And whenever you're in church, it's always good to have a mint, right? I'm trying to hit on Julianne. I want to make sure I don't have any bad breath. And he's like, oh, man, you need a mint? Yeah, I need a mint. Gives me an Alka-Seltzer. Looks like a mint. Sitting in church. Sermon going on. Pastor's long-winded. I'm thinking, that's all right. I'm going to have good breath. After this, I'm going to make my move. Put the Alka-Seltzer in my mouth. If you ever had an Alka-Seltzer without water, whoo! Light you up, but you can't make a reaction because you're in church. You're trying not to make a scene. I'm trying to be cool in front of Juliet. This thing just starts foaming. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Try to swallow that sucker, right? Awful. I thought it would deliver, and it didn't. Pornography, inappropriate relationships, even within marriage, if my wife or my husband would just have more sex with me, I'd be satisfied. It's an Alka-Seltzer, not a mint. It will never deliver on the promise. And so, number one, since I am trying to fight lust, trying to guard my heart, trying to keep my eyes on Jesus, one thing I believe is that in Christ is the fullness of joy and the fullness of pleasure. Number two, I believe that God knows best how I operate. I believe God knows best how I operate. And this is uh, the two foundations, right? You're going to build on the sand or you're going to build on the rock. Now, there are times when I tell the girls to do something and they look at me like I'm crazy. It doesn't make sense. Why can't I have ice cream for breakfast, Dad? Right? Sometimes I just need them to trust me. I know how they're wired. I know what's best for them. Multiply that by infinity, and that is God for his creation. God knows how you best operate. He knows how I best operate. And so in the area of sex, I'm going to trust God. The world says... Hey, man, if you have a need, go meet it. God says, hey, sex is for marriage. And God has defined marriage. God has defined sex. God has defined covenant relationship. I don't have to guess. And so when I see what God's laid out, I'm just going to do it. Because this is what I'm betting on. All of our wisdom in the room, multiplied by two million, doesn't come close to the wisdom of God. He knows everything. He created the universe, and it wasn't a hard thing. I'm going to trust him. All right. Another thing that I believe, I believe that Jesus provides a way out of every temptation. Demarcus, I shared this with you. Right. This is first. If you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. You're not fighting this alone. Like all of us in the room should be fighting the things we lust after that draw us away from Christ. It says nothing has happened to you that's not common. It says, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he'll also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. And so I'm always looking for a way out, and there's always been a way out. And then lastly, I believe I was bought at a price, so I will glorify God with my body. 
Those are some things that I believe, right? And the verse for that is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Now think about this. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. Another church story, a little bit embarrassing. Hanging out with my boys. My mom sang in the choir. And back in the day, the choir was always behind the guy speaking, right? And so I would sit back around in here, and let's say I'm joking around. Mike, you're talking to Josh, and Josh is talking to you. And, and I'm, I'm sitting here having a chit-chat, and we're passing some notes, and we're, we're making you know, a little bit of a scene. But my focus was on the guy behind me and the guy next to me. But eventually, my eyes would make it to mom, and mom wasn't having a good time. You ever get the, the mama look? Where she looks at you and you're like, is she looking at me? Is she still looking at me? Quit talking to me. Quit talking to me. Right? Just that look. And I knew she couldn't get out of the choir loft. At least I thought she couldn't. <laughs> I'm like, oh, hey, this, is, this is bad. This is not good. But it would curb my behavior. Now, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, think about what, what would you do if you know God is in you? Think about the stuff we look at in private. Is it really private? No, the Spirit of God dwells in us. If I can remember that by faith, I'm going to fight that. All right, so, so those are some, some things that, by faith, how I'm trying to keep my eyes on God. Number two, you are in a battle, so fight. Uh, Colossians 3, 5, it says, put to death. Put to death the things that are in you earthly. It talks about put to death sexual immorality and, adult, and all of this stuff. Listen, that's not flattering language. How do you put something to death? You've got to kill it. So you don't mess around with sin. Sean, I need you real quick. So, listen, I've showed you one move from jiu-jitsu. I'm getting ready to show you another one. And this time, this time I've got to be careful because Sean could whoop me if he wanted to. But he's already agreed to the illustration, right? So this is called a gi. Go ahead and put that on for me, man. Sean and I are the same size, similar body type, similar muscle tone, similar muscle structure. So this is a gi, and, and we were going, uh, I was rolling with a guy, the, t the teacher, and this was early on, and he just grabs this, and he goes, hey, you feel that? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you choking? I'm like, no. I'm like, you can't choke me. So he's, he's messing around, grabbing wrists, and I'm trying to increase my position, and then all of a sudden he just slides it up, and he slides it up, and he slides it up, and then he gets to here. I'm like, well, that's uncomfortable, but... Are you choking, Sean? No, nobody's choking. Then, before I knew it, when he got all the way back here, he grabs this side and he starts to bend down. You choking, Sean? Mm-hmm. A little bit, right? It's just right here. And so he asked me, when are you choking? I go, well, duh. When you put your hand on me, you started choking me. He goes, nope, you were choking when you didn't do anything about this. Sean, what should you do with this? Peel the handle. Bam. Right? I get this grip, all right, fine, I'll go left-handed. Bam, right there, very simple, right? I didn't know this was a problem, right? I learned, as soon as the hand gets on me, get it off, you can take that off. Some of you guys are choking because of lust. And yet you think you can handle it. I shouldn't be watching this movie, but it's not a big deal. This song doesn't glorify God, but who cares? Everybody's listening to it. Pornography only affects me, right? And we're saying, meanwhile, the grip is going up, up, up. 
you're already choking and you don't know it. So what do you do? You better fight it. And you take that grip and you rip it out. So fighting could look a lot of different ways. There's so many ways, um, some concrete examples. If you struggle with your phone, get rid of your phone. You're like, well, that's drastic. Yeah, but you're not gouging your eye out. But that is exactly what Jesus is talking about. You rip the things out of your life that will cause you to stumble. Why? Because hell is a consequence and your heart will lead you there if you let it go unchecked. Rip it out. Some other things. Social media. Social media. Could be a website. You go to like, ah, or um, what was it? Sports Illustrated back in the day. I had guys, yeah, I get that. Swimsuit, ah, whatever. You put up a poster, ah, that's not a big deal. It's okay to look, right? That's the grip, and before you know it, it will choke the life out of you. You better fight now before it's too late. All right? So that's, that's one, fight. Number two, it's deadly, so flee. Um, 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee from sexual immorality. And you've got two examples in this Bible, right? You have Joseph. Joseph was a looker. He was attractive, young man. This lady set her eyes on him and tried to get after him. And it said that she sent everybody out and she went in there to grab him, right? And it says that Joseph, man, he took off and booked it, fleet, right? God honored that. Second guy, David. David, during the time of war, was standing on the balcony checking out a lady taking a bath. And he didn't run. He stayed and lingered, which led to adultery, which led to murder, destroyed David's life. One guy ran, one guy lingered. Here's the hard part about fleeing. You never know when you should flee or when you should fight. But when you only have one option, flee. I'll give you an example. I had a guy I played basketball with. Um, he was at college. He's like, man, I was with a good group of guys. We were playing dominoes. And he's like, man, I was whooping them, winning the game of dominoes. He was all of a sudden, this lady came in with a boombox. He's like, man, what, what are we, in the 1980s? Like, you don't need a boombox. Well, it didn't take him long to figure out, well, this was the stripper for the 21st birthday. He goes, man, I had to make a quick decision. I said, I got to go. See ya. He said, I couldn't stay and focus on dominoes with the music and the dancing. It's a great decision. Get up, flee. You got to run, right? Because you got to keep your eyes on Jesus, not lusting after things. Another example, video. You go to a movie. Like, man, I've already spent eight bucks on a movie or whatever it is, 20 bucks on popcorn. I'm committed to this movie. Crap comes on the scene. Time to go. Flee. You'll run. Might be a relationship, right? Facebook, oh, I like to see what so-and-so is doing in old flame. It's not... Careful. Many marriages have been destroyed by Facebook. It's time to run. I don't play with that. So Billy Graham got made fun of, right? You know, oh, he's an old time, whatever. He had this policy. He would never have a lunch date with the opposite sex. And he never stayed at a hotel by himself. He always took a buddy with him. And you want to, a lot of people said, man, that's old fashioned. That's not how the business world works. But you want to know what I haven't heard? An inappropriate relationship with Billy Graham. Have you guys ever heard of that? I haven't. You want to know what he took serious? He took seriously fighting and fleeing sexual immorality. Man, I, I want to do that. And, and then finally, and, and I'll leave you with this, you belong to the body, so find some friends that will fight with you. You're not alone. You're not fighting this by yourself. 
We will help each other. We're stronger together. And wouldn't it be awesome where maybe you're being tempted, you have somebody that you could call and say, hey, man, I need you to pray for me. Or maybe you call somebody and you just get out of the situation. Hey, I got you. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get our mind on something else. You have friends who are fighting the same battle. Rely on each other. This reminds me of uh, my dad. My dad and I, we went to some bachelor party for paintball, and somehow dad was allowed to play paintball. My dad's not nimble. He's a good shot, but paintball's not his game. Luckily, we had this little kid, sixth grader, would fly back and forth. He would fit behind the little blow-up triangles so the paintballs wouldn't hit him. If dad and I tried, we kind of stick out, right? We're easy targets. So we're behind this wall, this little fortress, and we send this little guy out. He would see where the other guys are, and then he'd come back and tell us about it. Well, one time, my dad got a little nervous. He ran out to the triangle, little guy. Little guy came back. Dad shot him. I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? We need him. He's like, I thought he was on the other team. I thought he was on the other team. And I go, Dad, who's going to go out to the little triangle now, me or you? <laughs> right? We didn't win that battle. Right? Because we thought we don't need him. Little kid, too bad. Too late. We need each other. Now, there will be some friendly fire, right? I hope we can trust each other, but I promise you this. All of us in the room have struggles multiplied. If it's not lust, it's pride. If it's not pride, it's selfishness. All of us have stuff that we struggle with. And now here's the awesome part. And all of us are made righteous in Jesus. And so what I want to do and what I want you to do is I want you to push people towards Jesus. See that you have grace in Christ. He can forgive you and He can cover your sin. See that you have armor because of Christ. You can fight because Jesus can make you strong. Whatever it is, don't give up. You're in a battle, keep fighting. Keep running away from the junk that the world offers. Depend on each other. And then let us have faith in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this group. Lord, this is a hard word because there's so much hurt and heartache in this area. And so, God, I'm asking you to do what only you can do. I pray that you heal the pain and the regret that we may have. Pray that you give us a deep desire to keep our eyes on you. Father, you're an awesome God. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for new and fresh starts. Help us encourage each other to pursue you. Guard our hearts. Keep our eyes on you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.